Hello, and welcome listeners to A Fistful of Western's first podcast episode, The Page That Loves Talking Western Movies. Today I thought a good topic to discuss on the show would be the timeline of Western cinema in the past 20th century, going into the 21st century. To do this, I'll break down the Westerns of each time period and discuss what was popular at the time and how the genre evolved into its next stage. Beginning in the silent era, the Western captured moviegoers' imaginations. Quick-drawing, white-hat good guys battled with the mustachioed, black-hatted villains, all for the love of the swooning heroine and a chance to ride into the black-and-white sunset. Men like Tom Mix, Hoot Gibson, and William S. Hart became icons during this era, churning out quick quick pictures which all had the same basic plot. Although there is some debate, Edwin S. Porter's film, The Great Train Robbery, starring Bronco Billy Anderson, is often erroneously cited as the first Western. Porter's film set the pattern of crime, pursuit, and retribution for the Western film as a genre. The film's popularity made Anderson into the screen's first Western star. He made several hundred Western film shorts. The genre became so popular, in fact, he soon faced competition from Tom uh, Mix and William S. Hart. The Westerns of the 1930s continued on in much of the same vein as the decade before. Amenable stars like singing cowboy Roy Rogers starred in mostly forgettable films with titles like Come On Rangers. The golden age of the Western, I would say, started in 1939 with John Ford's Stagecoach, starring John Wayne. Wayne, when teamed up with the likes of John Ford or Howard Hawks, delivered movie after movie playing an idealized version of himself. Starting with the classic Red River and continuing through 1956's The Searchers, the expansive shots of sky and plains fit in lockstep with his performances in these mostly serious epics. While the Duke would play a variety of roles and different types of movies, it was the Western for which he became an icon with films like Rio Bravo and El Dorado. It was during the 1950s that the genre found its rhythm through hard-charging, hard-living cowboys like Wayne, Gary Cooper, Henry Fonda, and Jimmy Stewart. Going into the 60s, the studio system was dying a rapid death. The Hayes Code was gone, and old-school filmmaking was being assaulted on all sides by changing technology, generational shifts in attitude, and willingness from young filmmakers to push the envelope with different types of storytelling. If not for a few directors, such as Sergio Leone and Sam Peckinpah, the Western may have ceased to exist altogether. The Westerns that Leone and Peckinpah made bore little resemblance to the feel-good, rousing epics of the decades past. Leone's Man With No Name trilogy, starring Clint Eastwood, brought the term Spaghetti Western into our collective consciousness. Made on fairly small budgets and using foreign locals, these movies made Eastwood, playing an unlikable anti-hero, an international star. Everything about these movies changed the way audiences viewed westerns. Good and evil were now indistinguishable, and Leone also changed the way the films looked and felt. They now featured gritty, sand-swept towns that felt dirty and sweaty. Along with that, his shooting techniques did an amazing job of producing tension far greater than any other film had before it. In 1968, Leone would craft what is considered his western masterpiece, Once Upon a Time in the West, starring Henry Fonda in his first bad guy role. The film capped off what had been an incredibly successful and innovative decade of filmmaking that changed cinema forever. If the genre needed somebody like Leon to push it into new territory, then it also needed somebody like Peckinpah to set off a bomb, ensuring that it would never go back. Sam Peckinpah delivered 1969's The Wild Bunch, using the time-honored one-last-score scenario as an allegorical tale for the genre itself. The aging gunfighters in the film, led by a mesmerizing William Holden, 
and Ernest Borgnine can't quite uh, adapt as the Old West disappears around them. Peckinpah revels in the violence. There are plenty of scenes where people are gunned down in slow motion, throats are slashed, and explosions are set off, including one of the most famous in cinematic history involving a group of horsemen who are pursuing the bandits getting dumped into a river as the bridge gives out beneath them. The film's director, Sam Peckinpah, was a product of the dying frontier himself. He identified with his protagonists and gave the scarred, worn-out outlaws a human voice. Holden as Pike Bishop and Robert Ryan as Deke Thornton, Bishop's former friend and gang member who now leads a group tracking Bishop, give their characters believability and gravitas throughout the film. Some directors and movies from this era include Robert Aldridge's The Apache, uh, Delmer Davies' Broken Arrow, Alan Dwayne's Silver Lord, John Ford's Stagecoach, My Darling Clementine, The Searchers, and The Man Who Shot Liberty Valance, George Roy Hills, Butch Cassidy, and the Sundance Kid. Sergio Leone's For a Few Dollars More, The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly, and Once Upon a Time in the West. And Fred Zinemann's High Noon. Like a lot of the Western films in the 60s showed, the Old West was coming to a close, and the film industry seemed to forget about it almost completely during the 70s and 80s. This is in part due to the fact that directors were now being trained in theory, and using their suburban or urban upbringings in their storytelling. Directors like Robert Altman were now making fun of the old American traditions instead of taking it at face value with films like M.A.S.H. and Nashville. Filmmakers such as George Lucas, Francis Ford Coppola, Martin Scorsese, and Steven Spielberg were beginning to set the tone that would last another two decades in film. Clint Eastwood was one of the only notable directors making an effort to keep the genre alive at this point. With films like High Plains Drifter and Outlaw Josie Wales, both films featured characters that were much different than the western gunslingers he played in the past. While Eastwood's protagonists mostly came out on top, there was an emptiness to many of his victories now. In 1976's The Outlaw Josie Wales, which he directed himself, Eastwood tells a violent, singular revenge story as well as one of his first mainstream westerns to openly deal with the U.S. government's treatment of American Indians during the westward expansion. In the 80s, the genre almost completely died out, with the only notable movies being Clint Eastwood's Pale Rider and Lawrence Cassadin's Silverado. Both were good, but not great films. The Western genre took a new turn in the 90s. Clint Eastwood's last Western, 1992's Unforgiven, featured the genre having both its evolutionary coming out party and its swan song. Winning an Oscar for Eastwood as Best Director, Unforgiven is an unflinching movie as an aging gunslinger, William Money, played by Eastwood, takes one last job as a hired killer. With Morgan Freeman, Gene Hackman, and Richard Lewis or Richard Harris in the cast, Eastwood made a movie as relentless as the falling rain in the final scene as Money, who is completely devoted devolved into the killer he once was, rides into the night, a friendless widower who knows far more about death than life. This is one of my all-time favorite films because it takes all the Western characters that made Eastwood famous in the past and shows them in a much more realistic light. It was an amazing way to play, play tribute and also give the Western a more modern view as it entered into the 90s. The 1990s also saw two dueling variations of Wide Earp. The somber and painfully slow Wide Earp with Costner in the titular role and the much more rousing and entertaining but not historically accurate Tombstone starring Kurt Russell. 
Costner's dedication to the genre was on display again in uh, 2003's The Open Range, which paired him with Robert Duvall and Annette Bening. The gorgeous Western Vistas, courtesy of cinematographer James Murrow, provide the backdrop to a familiar tale, but one that has excellent pace and is told well. Movies often repeat themselves, but there will always be an audience as long as the films themselves are well made. After Open Range, the next popular western that really showed up in mainstream media was 2008's uh, Deadwood, made by HBO. Deadwood again evolved the western genre, changing our perception and moving even further away from the classic films that first defined it. Deadwood bears no resemblance to any 1960s cowboy shoot 'em up show. Profane, violent, and sexualized, Deadwood was a fascinating character study of a small mining settlement in a territory that was headed for statehood. Following a familiar theme of a population on the verge of being accepted, uh, being forced to accept change, this David Milch show did for the Western what The Sopranos did for the Mafia genre. It was updated and uncut without any commercials. It allowed for fascinating story arcs and true character development. It strayed away from the romanticized version of the Old West that we usually picture and gave us a gritty, realistic look at what actually went on during this time period. Today, the Western film is probably the most unpopular genre. This could be partly because it's a genre that has been done so many times and there isn't much room to expand on it. Or it could be because the values and characteristics of Western films currently don't fit into today's social climate. However, there's still hope for the future of Westerns. Films like Django Unchained, The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, the remake of 310 to Yuma, and The Hateful Eight have given us a glimpse into the new style of Western that may just be good enough to keep the genre alive forever. Thank you, and have a good night.